Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is your inspired word. And we pray, Lord, that you would just help us to take to heart some of the things that you say to us through it. We pray that tonight, Lord, that you would just open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher and our guide. For we ask it in your name. Amen. 2009 marked the 250th anniversary of the, of the birth of Charles Simeon. And uh, he was a great man of God who served in Holy Trinity Cambridge for 54 years. And his influence, he had a, a tremendous impact for the gospel, not only in this land, but in further afield. And you find within the Anglican Church now, churches are, belong to Simeon Trust. And, uh, and, and, and it's to safeguard evangelical ministry within the Anglican Church, or a Bible-based ministry. And Doxy Church is a Simeon Trust church, or it was. But Charles Simeon had a faithful ministry. But when he first went to Holy Trinity Cambridge, uh, the congregation had set their hearts on somebody else and really didn't want him there. And uh, this young Simeon, from the moment he arrived, found it very difficult. Uh, Church pews in those days were privately rented and the people who were the holders of those pews took the opportunity to, to, to show their protest by absenting, absenting themselves from the church and unlocking the pews so that nobody could use them. And, um, and they even padlocked them so that nobody could get into them. And he bought some chairs and benches to use to put down the aisles of the church and at the back of the church but the church wardens threw them into the churchyard. And this happened for ten years. For the first ten years of Simeon's ministry, um, people had to stand in the church. And when he took the unusual step of starting an evening service to provide him with another opportunity to preach, the church wardens locked the doors and carried off the keys so nobody could get in. But Simeon responded not by anger, but by prayer. May God bless them with enlightening, sanctifying and saving grace. He didn't lose heart. After ten years, I wonder what we would have done. When the pressure was on, he pressed on. He persevered. He was faithful in his ministry and the Lord blessed it the key theme to this section of Paul's letter is we press on we press on there were plenty of reasons for discouragement in Paul's situation yet Paul wasn't a quitter what was it that kept him pressing on when the pressure was on he knew what he possessed in Jesus Christ Instead of complaining about what he didn't have, he rejoiced in what he had. 
And in verses 1 to 11 that we, we looked at last week, we see Paul's past. He's the accountant in these verses. Whatever was to my profit, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. And in verses 12 to 16, we see Paul's present, the athlete. I press on toward the goal to, 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 for the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then in verses 17 to 21, we see Paul's future. The alien. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Several times in scripture, the Christian life is referred to as a race. And we need to be in spiritual shape as we run the race set before us. And in verse 12a, I just want to use some uh, words beginning with D. Dissatisfaction. The first essential to a solid spiritual life may surprise us. In order to run the race and keep moving forward, we must be dissatisfied with where we are right now in our own spiritual lives. Paul had some incredible experiences, yet after walking with Christ for many years, he wasn't satisfied with the state of his spiritual life. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We see this in the Winter Olympics. They, they press on, they push forward to gain the prize, even though the outside elements are, are pretty grim at times. And, and it was Lizzie Yarnold who was talking about the G4 pressures, I don't know what they are, but on her neck and her back that cause her so much pain. And yet she, she presses on and she gets the gold medal even though she goes through this pain. There was a promising Greek uh, artist working under instruction from a, a known tutor. And uh, after a few years, this young painter painted this an amazing portrait. And he was so pleased with it that day after day he just looked at this portrait. Until one day the tutor came and he, he defaced it. And the, the young lad was, was really angry that the tutor had done this. And his tutor said, I did it for your own good. That painting was holding you up from your progress. And it was an excellent piece of work, but it wasn't perfect. Go on and see if you can do better. The student took the advice and produced masterpiece after masterpiece. But we press on. When Jeff Steinberg limped on stage, the audience seemed to, to suck in its breath. His body was tragically misshapen. And it was difficult for him to walk. His head was disproportionately large for his body. And he held a microphone with hooks 
he used for hands. But his smile was bigger than his disability. And Jess Steinberg had a song and a slogan that was uniquely his. I'm a masterpiece in progress. I've been a Christian now for a number of years and I wish I was a lot further on than I am now. If we think that we've arrived, then we need to think again. The church in Laodicea was so self-satisfied, Jesus said, you're not perfect. In fact, you're pitiful. Jesus said to them that they need to press on. Dissatisfaction should spur us on to the next step. And in verse 12, verse 12, and the second part of verse 12, we see devotion. To press on means to pursue, straining every muscle to win the prize. Paul not only chased after Christ, he wanted to make sure he was holding on to Christ. And Spurgeon's motto was, I hold and I am held. The Lord had taken hold of Paul. Now Paul was determined to serve the Saviour for the rest of his life. I wonder as Christians, so often, and I feel this myself, that we're in cruise control. Let's turn our dissatisfaction into devotion. In verse 13, direction. He's not fully taken hold, but he is going in the right direction. Like David, he prayed with a, with a focus, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Forgetting what is behind, we press on. Paul had plenty of reasons to feel guilty. He'd slaughtered saints, he persecuted Christians. But the Lord took hold of him. And the danger is we can be so tied to the troubles of the past that we're not moving forward in our Christian lives. To forget here means to no longer be influenced or be affected by. When we don't allow the past to control the present, the Lord can unleash us from the the influence of past memories and things we've done and said. And as a sprinter, we know, is, is, is straining towards the line. He isn't looking backwards. The athlete stretches his neck for the line, pushing every muscle. Giving all he has to win the race. He can't run forward looking backwards. And if we want to move forward, we have to, to let go of what's behind because our past can become our prison. Look not back on yesterday so full of failure and regret. Look ahead and seek God's way. All sins confessed, you must forget. And then in verse 14, determination. A raft sits in the water and doesn't do much. Some believers wait for the Lord to, to do something, but so often are drifting. A rowing boat depends totally on, on the strength of the person doing the, the rowing. Some believers think that everything depends on them. 
but we need to be like the yacht. God moves us as his spirit fills our souls. And yet we have the responsibility to steer and stay determined in order to move across the water. David Livingstone returned to Britain and and was asked, what do you want to do now? And his response, I'm ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. And we're called heavenward, focusing on the future with our eyes on Jesus, even our thoughts on Jesus. And that will have great effect on the present. So as we look up and look ahead, we'll be less prone to be paralysed by our past. We must live in the light of eternity. When we were in Korea, the the director in Japan was Alan Mitchell and his father, Fred Mitchell, was the home director of OMF in in England and he died in in the 1950s in one of the first comet crashes. uh, They were taken off from from India and the last words the pilot said were on course and still climbing. And Fred Mitchell's epitaph says he died still climbing. We pursue the prize with determination so that when we die we're already on the way up on course and still climbing. In verses 15 and 16 we see discipline. We are to to keep on living by staying in the race, running in our lane as we move forward. Daily prayer, daily Bible reading and study as as we meditate on God's word and feed on him. I was told the story of a minister who went to a church to preach and and when he got into the pulpit, he said, I hope you're ready this evening for the, for the milk of God's word. And somebody in the front pew said, aye, as long as it's condensed. And discipleship in verses 17 to 19. We are to follow the good examples of others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We need people to look up to people who can mentor us as they model Christ. Gay's speaking next week on on chapter 4, but there's two women in that verse 2. And we're really not to be like these people. And Paul says, I plead with uh, Eudea and Syntyche. And somebody said, well, that could be oh dear and soon touchy. Um, But I will always be grateful for the, for the young Christians in my home church who were living examples to me of what the Christian life should be. And I'm struck in these verses too how tender Paul is towards those who refers to as the enemies of the cross. You see, his motive was love, not hate when he considers their destiny, which, which is destruction, when he says that their appetites control everything they do and how they take pride in shameful things, he breaks down in tears. He's sobbing over sinners. And we need to be concerned about the destiny of unbelievers 
Do we agonize over the lost today, even in our own families? Many live as enemies of the cross, and they're everywhere. But it's always been that way. True believers are always in the minority, but we need to be concerned because the reason they live the way they do, their mind is on earthly things. Some years ago, there was a church in Cheshire, well, it's still there, but I knew the minister, and it wasn't far from ICI. And one Sunday, this young couple came to the church, and they were, they, they were well-educated people, both had very good jobs at ICI. They were keen, they got involved, and before long they were put in, in, in charge of house groups within the church. But after about 18 months, two years, the wife made an appointment to see the vicar. And when they met, she said, why do you keep preaching about the cross of Jesus? And he realised that they were a front for some sect. And it shook him that he'd given them so much responsibility within the church it was a great lesson to him but he shared it with with me you see there were enemies of the cross within the church and we need discernment in these days the meaning here is lostness and waste a wasted life an eternity of waste but you see in contrast the truth true child of God his citizenship or her citizenship is in heaven and we have a future the Christian is the only person with a future and verse 20 and and verse 1 of chapter 4 delight as we live in the future tense with a glorious ministry and a valuable treasure a confident faith and a sure hope, a future hope. We will have freedom from the past and find delight in the present. Our home is in heaven. We are citizens of another place. And this, because our citizenship is in heaven, it ought to make us better people here on earth. We make our decisions on the basis of eternal values, not passing fads of society. And just as Philippi was a colony of Rome on foreign soil, so the church is a colony of heaven on earth. In Korea, Gay and I had passes which had on the front alien registration. We were once aliens. Malcolm, you may think I still am. But, um, but you see, the Christian's name is written in heaven and stands written forever. Everything the Judaizers advocate, advocated uh, as being necessary to salvation has been eliminated by the death of Christ on the cross. There was nothing to add to this. Jesus said, it's finished. 
And it's the cross that is central to the life of the believer. He doesn't glory in man, in religion, or his own achievements. We glory in the cross of Jesus. I was so pleased to see that the Pi family motto is in crusade gloria. My glory is in the cross. And may that ever be the case. Jesus is coming again and we eagerly await for him. Everything will be made right. We will be transformed. The best is yet to come. And so Paul says we press on. We press on. And as it says in verse 1, we stand firm. There's so many pressures around us today, but we must stand firm for the truth of the gospel. Eric Little uh, once said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I don't know if Paul was fast, but I do know he had to move very quickly in certain situations. But the one thing I do know, when he ran the race of life, he felt God's pleasure. As an accountant in, verse, as an accountant in verses 1 to 11, Paul discovered new values. As an athlete in verses 12 to 16, Paul displays this new vigour. And as an alien in verses 17 to 21, Paul experiences a new vision. So let the anticipation of the coming of the Lord Jesus motivate us with pressing on, lest he return and find us not living the life that we should be living in him. So let's press on and stand firm. Amen.